0: This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I don't know about you, but even though there's unlimited information available online, I tend to learn best by doing things and actually getting my hands dirty. If you're interested in making the leap from screens to the land, then I've got some exciting learning events for you. I'm going to be teaching two of my favorite subjects this upcoming autumn at the Green Rebel Farm in beautiful Miravet, Spain. The first course is a weekend intensive on regenerative agroforestry designed for people who want to try their hands at a range of different tree planting and orchard maintenance skills. We'll cover the whole range from reading a landscape and propagating plants, to planning a planting project, getting trees in the ground, maintaining a growing system, and even pruning a grown forest. The best part is that all of these are based on activities to advance a real farm. The second event is a five-day deep dive into the regenerative design process, again with a focus on agroforestry. This course is designed for people who are either considering buying land, or who are at the early stages of developing a site and want to ensure that they get off on a profitable, regenerative trajectory. We'll work through the scale of permanence, learning to gather essential information about the landscape, vegetation, and soil. From there, we'll work through hydrological capture and restoration, planning for productive planting and reforestation, business considerations, soil health regeneration, and much more. All of this too will be taught through hands-on activities, so you leave not only knowing how to develop an effective and profitable design, but also with experience with the work and skills required to get things done. This weekend agroforestry intensive will be from Friday the 16th through Sunday the 18th of September. And the design workshop goes from Tuesday the 11th to Sunday the 16th of October. So don't start your project with digital learning alone. Come and get your hands dirty with inspiring, like-minded people and level up your skills this autumn. You can learn more by clicking at the link at regenerativeskills.com or on the link tree in the bio on our Instagram. Early bird discounts are now open, so don't hesitate. And I'll see you in the orchard soon. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to this ongoing series on tree planting and agroforestry. Now, this week, we're going to wrap up the two-part interview that I did with Philip Gerhardt, the founder of the website Baumfeldwirtschaft.de. I think I pronounced that better last week. Anyway, that roughly translates to tree farming. He's also the managing director of Deutsche Agroforest GmbH. He's considered a leading expert for keyline design in Central Europe and is active in research projects and as a lecturer in seminars. As a pioneer in agroforestry, he has developed new approaches with his team to implement modern agroforestry and water management systems. Together, they develop holistic contexts for protection against drought and floods for companies and municipalities with elements from keyline design and regenerative agriculture, and of course, climate friendly forest conservation. He's also advised numerous companies that are changing the landscape in the long term and are building new climate-friendly ways of doing business. Now, as a quick recap of what we discussed in the first part of this interview, we covered some of the history and the early innovators of the formal science of agroforestry. Philip also described his personal journey into the study of forest management and also permaculture and ecological restoration through key line design, as well as how all of these design concepts fit together. We also explored the potential for low density agroforestry planting over a large enough area to have a massive effect in the way that we experience climate change on the ground. Now, as a quick recap of what we discussed in the first part of this interview, we covered some of the history and early innovators of the formal science of agroforestry. Philip described his personal journey into the study of forest management and also permaculture, ecological restoration through key line design and how all of these design concepts fit together. We also explored the potential for low-density agroforestry planting over a large enough area to have a massive effect on the way that we experience climate change on the ground. Now if you haven't yet listened to the first half, I highly recommend that you check it out. In this conclusion to our conversation, Philip and I explore some of the unique roadblocks to implementing the scale of agroforestry that's needed to feel the difference in cooling and increased humidity. Philip also breaks down some of the opportunities for funding at a national level in Germany and some ways that he's found to navigate the subsidy and regulation system there. That leads into the exploration of the career and business potential in forestry management and agroforestry as well as advice for people getting started in these fields or aspiring to work in ecological regeneration. Now, this is a great portion of the conversation for those of you who are looking into getting into these lines of work, even if your funding and your regulatory structures are different from those in Germany. So with that said, I'll hand things over once again to Philip Gerhardt. Well, look, so you were just talking about the necessity of getting a lower density of trees in more areas, specifically in farmland. And... In my brief experience working with farmers in Germany, there's a lot of roadblocks to getting this done. We have one person in particular who would like to start doing this, but Mm -hmm. said something to the effect of once you reach a certain density of trees on farmland, it gets reclassified as forestry land or something, and it stops being classified as agricultural land, and they could actually lose their ability to farm it. And the other one being that uh, some of them rent or lease a majority of the farmland that they grow arable crops on. And those landowners do not allow them to plant trees as per some of the lease conditions. What are some of the other roadblocks that you've seen for implementing agroforestry in arable cropland?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, let me talk about that in a minute. I just wanted to add something to the last question you asked me. Um what we can do in the area where I live to regenerate the hydrology. And oh, right. yep. I, said, I, I said that, yeah, we need to, to get like a, 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 a medium density tree cover in like the whole countryside. Um, but the second thing is, um, uh, th- there's two more things. The one thing is very obvious. We need to have more broadleaf trees in the, in the forests. Uh, I don't need. I don't think we, we need to talk about that. It's like that's common knowledge now. Okay, that's what people already really got. Um, we'll go ahead and break but, it down uh, anyway
0: for people who don't understand the difference of the interaction of broadleaf trees and coniferous trees or evergreen trees in a forestry configuration.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, the thing is, broadleaf trees first; they uh, they lose their foliage in winter time. So uh, the interception of rainwater in winter is, uh, is less. So we get more of the winter rainfall into the soil. And second, um, the foliage of broadleaf trees uh, decays much quicker because needles are made to have maximum resistance uh, against a, a tough climate. And uh, that's, that means there's a lot, lot of, uh, uh, yeah, like, substances in the in, in the needle and and the form is uh, is adapted to to uh, yeah not not being easy to to attack by by microorganisms by by temperature everything so and if a needle falls to the ground it needs much longer to decay and is less suitable food for the soil life that means in a, a coniferous forest the the soil is much less active and and you have a lot less uh, bioturbation, like like uh, uh, earthworms digging their, their holes in the ground and uh, microorganisms being active. And that's why you usually get thick layers of needles and very low humus contents. And that means the soil in, uh, in a broadleaf forest is much more of a sponge than in a coniferous forest. And that's why we get more water in. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's the the basic idea behind it. So, but the third thing is um, to to get a better groundwater re- recharge in the region. We need to stop surface runoff. That's the most important thing. We don't have uh, too little rain. We have enough rain in Brandenburg. We have been having 500 millimeters of rain for centuries, and it works. We, we had a, a, a forested landscape. It was a landscape very rich in water. Like 1,200 years ago, um, the, the Slavic t- tribes who settled here, they, they settled here because it was a country so rich in, in fish and, and wood, uh, they, they came here to live here in peace. Um, and, uh, and, and because it was a rich country and um, so uh, we don't have too little rain, we just need to use it differently because we, um, we drain the landscape, we, we put ditches everywhere to, to do uh, plowing and farming in, in uh, places where, where there were swamplands, uh, um, uh, uh, floodplains and, and bogs and uh, we, it's just, yeah, it, that was too much. We need to get back from these areas and let them be bogs again or floodplains. Um, but that's only like one thing. That's like the lowest places in the landscape. And if the water comes there, it's already too late. We need to stop water in the upper areas of a landscape. And that applies to, um, to a hilly landscape, but also to a flatter landscape, because we always have differences in the, in the altitude and in the, uh, in the uh, shape of the, of the land. And that's where key line design comes in. It's not applicable everywhere in uh, flatter landscapes, but it is astonishing in how much places it actually works. If we, we have seen areas which have a slope of, of 2.5% in general. And if you if you apply clean design, um, you get a significant and measurable plus in, in water going into the soil. Um, it also depends on, on the soil texture, the soil type, and so on. Um, but that's the, the, the third thing I wanted to talk about. If we want to restore groundwater and hydrology, um, it's, it's not done by looking at the rivers at the low points in the landscape and restoring them. We need to, to look at the highest places in the, in the landscape and start there and say there's no surface runoff anymore. We won't lose any water. We will put all the water that's coming from above into the soil and that will go into the wells, into the rivers as well. We won't lose our rivers if we stop surface runoff. Yeah, that's important to say because some people say, hey, if you put every water in the ground, uh, won't the rivers dry out? No, they won't. They will be fed by the wells and uh, they will have less severe flood events. They will have clearer water. That's why the fish populations can come back and the whole water water bodies will, restore, will get restored as well. But... Groundwater as well. And groundwater is drinking water. So, if we want to live here sustainably in this landscape, we need to stop surface runoff and put the water back in the soil for plant production and drinking water production. So, that's the three things I wanted to say to your last question. And now, the question um, uh, about the uh, legal uh, restrictions to implementing agroforestry. I think there are no legal restrictions um that could um yeah actually be really in the way of implementing agroforestry i've been doing agroforestry planning professionally for seven years now and um which is which is a long time in the in the young agroforestry scene. <laughs> it's not not a long time uh, in terms of how trees grow, um, yeah. But um, it's it's a it's a very long time. Um, so and and I've been doing agroforestry plantings in on arable land all the time without having a distinct um, uh, grant scheme for agroforestry in Germany because we. We can improvise. We have uh, a lot of um, uh, perennial crop cultures um, that that are um, legal in in agriculture or that can get a grant. We have like annual crops, and, and you basically you have well in, in Germany it, it works like this. You have you have two types of grants. The first is you just get a grant per hectare um, farming that you do. Um, And that is according to what you grow. So every year you say of wheat. And then there's a list of codes. And it says, okay, wheat, you get, I don't know, 300 euros per hectare wheat. And because we want more corn in the region, for example, you get 350 euros for one hectare of corn. Um, So these codes, they change every four years. And uh, according to what policy, establish and um which is kind of a of the time so you get money for the for the most ridiculous things and, and others hey we need more of this they get too little funding uh anyway so we have perennial crops in this code list as well um, so, because people want to ra- run, uh, like for example, an apple plantation or a walnut plantation or aronia berries or whatever, and uh, there's only a, like uh, a very limited list of codes because the administration doesn't want to to put up a theme for a perennial culture that you can do. So there's a code for um, all other perennial cultures. And that's something that you use most of the time. If you do uh, fancy agroforestry stuff with plantings, you can always put it in this code of all other perennial cultures, and then you get a, get a normal funding for it. And the second is that you that farmers often get um, uh, money for for extra ecological um, uh, services. So, for example, if and that's like uh, dependent on the federal state of Germany you're in in Bavaria there's a, a grant scheme for trees in the fields and that means you just get uh I don't know eight eight euros 50 per tree in a field um and and so you can you can you can get the like the the basic grant scheme for growing wheat, for example, plus you get €8.50 for every tree that's in the field. So um, we don't need a distinct agroforestry grant scheme to do agroforestry. The important thing is that ecologically, we want to have agroforestry. From the legal point of view, it's okay to have a mixture of annual and perennial cultures then it's still agroforestry. But but farmers usually don't get it. They say, what? We don't have a grant scheme for agroforestry. How can we do agroforestry? And I'm, I'm like, look, you're doing agroforestry. You have wheat here and apples here. That's agroforestry. And it's just two 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 grant codes. So it works. Plus, uh, next year we will get an agroforestry grant scheme, which will be ridiculous because it's just 60 euros per hectare. Um, where all annual cultures will be like 300, 400, 500 euros per hectare. So nobody will do it. That's really ridiculous, but um, I think that's the important thing that um, agroforestry advisors and planners like me have to communicate with the farmers, say, look, we are getting an agroforestry grant scheme, but... Don't use it to <laughs> um, do, do it like we always did it. That's more profitable and we can do nice things with it as well. Um, there's just some drawbacks um, uh, which relate to this. Um, yeah, um, this um, uh, mindset we have in policy, this this there's some um, people tend to link uh, nature conservation with climate change as well that it's it's like we we have this huge climate problem now but people are still thinking in terms of conservative nature protection and uh, we're having the climate of of uh, of southeastern austria here as well already like like in Brandenburg, we have the climate they had in southeastern austria hungary uh, 30 years ago the, the climate zones are shifting, and in, in Brandenburg, for example, um, the the thing that grows best, the tree that grows best is uh, is the um, uh, false acacia, uh, robinia. Uh, what's it called in English? Uh, black locust. Black locust. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, and and now last year, the, the Green Party or whoever, I don't, I don't know, um, I don't want to to uh, to blame anyone, but but some people with a conservationist mindset. Managed to uh, to ban black locust from agroforestry plantings and from um, from short rotation plantings because they say it's a non-native species and it's like it's the only thing that still grows here. Why should we ban it? It's it's ridiculous. It's it's a perfect it's a perfect bee, um tree, it, it has a lot of honey, and, and, and it's, it comes to a time where, where bees really need it. We have the, the biodiversity crisis. Bees and wild bees need, need uh, forage again. And um, it's, it's the best wood we can have here. It's the most durable wood we can grow here. It grows fast. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a nitrogen fixer. Um, so why on earth do we ban it? It's, it's ridiculous, yeah? It's got some and of the highest oh, BPUs
0: yeah. for fuel wood as well. It never rots, yeah. yeah. I, I've taken a real yeah. interest it's in great, this because the, the forestry commission in the national park where we're moving to has uh, gone to great lengths to remove black locusts from the riparian zones, the riverways, going to the effort of actually um, putting poison into the trunks because obviously, if you just cut them down, they'll resprout. Um, so yeah, this is this is an issue that's affecting yeah. everywhere right now. And for some reason, that that particular tree, despite how hardy and useful and uh, just incredible it is, has been chosen for being non-native. And I completely agree with this this mindset of conservation that we need to get out of.
1: Mm, yeah, we we don't we can't afford that mindset. We need to to start seeing humans as a part of nature and we well in a very short time on this planet like in 1000 years we mixed everything up Um, but that's what we have today and we need to deal with it and 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 we can't get back to um, I, I don't know like like pretending that there are no humans on this planet transporting seeds from A to B. That's what we do. That's what birds do. We're just doing it faster. And yes, there's shit happening. Uh, We have things like, like, um, I don't know, uh, willow herb spreading all over Scotland in 10 years and annoying the people. Or we have, uh, uh, I don't know, black locust growing somewhere where it didn't grow before. But we also have potatoes and corn growing in Europe. And we have horses in Northern America. Yeah, imagine imagine the, the old Western movies without Native Americans riding horses. Where did they get them? They get got them from the Spanish in the in the late fourteen um, hundreds. So yes, humans uh, act as a vector, we're shifting things, and that's it. We need to deal with it. And in some places, it's. it's um, it's it's also it's also a good thing
0: yeah absolutely and okay so we've focused a lot now on adding forestry elements into arable cropland for the benefit of the remaining forested areas i also work with a lot of farmers who have dedicated forest areas of their land and are wondering how to manage them they're starting to see the health decline they're starting to see the species decline and they're not sure how to manage those forested areas, either in a way that can justify the costs that would need to be put into it. Um, and they don't necessarily have a vision of what they need to do in order to regain the health of those spaces. Where would you start there?
1: hmm If you have areas of forests really declining, like trees dying off in, in groups or whole stands, um, use the wood and plant pioneer trees cheap and effective pioneer trees for me that's hybrid poplars we use in agroforestry and don't do a plantation do it do it in a patchy thing so that in the long term you want to go to a coppice with standards structure we have um, a shifting wood industry and the shifting demand In in Germany, but that's a very special case. In other countries in Europe, it's different. We focused on growing trees as large and straight as possible to have a a supply for the timber industry. But um, uh, we always wanted to have the best quality. And of course, if you have a big tree that is the best quality, you can make veneer out of it, you can still use it as firewood. which is kind of a good idea, I, I think. But um, we don't need that much. We have an industry which basically takes every quality of timber nowadays and uh, cuts it and pieces it and glues it back together to to, to make a a, a, um, a beam, for example. And you can you can actually calculate them. So the modern timber building uh, needs. Uh, yeah, needs these we call them lime binder, like glued together binders. Don't know. Yeah, if that yeah, makes composite any board or, Do, you or you board, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and and so, um, it, it, growing the the best quality trees is is, a, is, is just a mindset that's um, outdated. We don't need it anymore because they're they're cut to pieces anyway, and um, and then uh, yeah, okay, some veneer trees to put some real veneer on. Whatever plywood stuff, yeah, um, we can grow some really really good trees, but we can grow them in um, uh, in uh, in with standard situations or in much uh, lower density forests as well. And uh, and we we see other countries doing that. For example, we in like in in German forestry, the, the best example is growing oaks. Yeah, we need um, for a traditional uh, perfect veneer oak that's like 100 centimeter diameter, 80 centimeter diameter, and 16 meters of branch-free trunk uh, that's grown in 200, 250 years with just thinning and 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 uh, like steering the 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 competition in the in the stand, and that's like really the the high culture of forestry. That's that's very very great work if you if you see that that generations of foresters over 250 years need to cooperate and need to to be aware of what their predecessors intended to do with these stands and continue that that's that's really it's it's an art it's great but it's outdated <laughs> we like we we see uh we see people on other. Countries achieving the same quality uh, with with less effort because they say, yeah, why don't you just cut off the branches? And we're like, no, we won't cut off the branches because we can do it with just regulating the competition and uh, make the tree lose its branches itself. So yeah. Um, anyway, so so it's it's a it's an outdated mindset in forestry, for example. Um, and and we can afford lower density forests we can afford more pioneer trees because the, nowadays a lot of stuff is made out of poplar and um, uh, we, we don't need that much durable wood anymore because the our uh, our buildings are having plaster outside. we're having uh, uh, clay or, or um, well shingles on the on the roof what's it called Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we, we're, not, we're not using uh, split hardwood shingles anymore. Um, so we, we need less of the durable woods. We need less veneer. We need less um, uh, stone beams for, for doing maybe timber framing. Uh, what we actually are using is popular plywood, um, uh, I don't know, um, uh, uh, coniferous wood for, for cons- basic construction work. And yeah, and, and, and wood for, for paper, but the paper industry can can shift as well. They adapted to forestry delivering a lot of uh, coniferous trees, but you can make paper out of, of broadleaf trees as well. So, uh, and, and then the, the question is also what timber do we need regionally? Uh, farmers may need a black locust, for example, for, for uh, fence posts. Um, or you can use it as a fuel wood. Um, you can also use black locust or oak for for construction. If you if you're in a rural situation and you are doing traditional timber framing because you're building your new um, uh, barn or something and, and you're doing it yourself, um, then you can use um, uh, small dimension trees and just cut off the, the the bark and you have a beam, and you can use it. Um, so, um, we can somehow get back to the coppice with standards structure, which has been the best um, uh, forest management uh, method for, for, uh, for small-scale uh, sufficiency for, for regional production, because we, we produce a lot of, of uh, fuel wood or industry wood and some high-quality wood for, for sawing and for building, and maybe uh, we can still have some some high forests for for veneer a class quality um, yeah so that we can adapt to shifting demand and therefore create a shift in the forest structure and uh, and we can get back to more copious forests because that means we have uh, an active root system which is better for keeping the water and for actually using it. So, um, yeah, that, and that's, that determines the, the, the species you can use. If you have a, a decaying forest, then go in with the pioneer trees. Plant uh, um, trees that are able to regrow from coppice. Oaks, black locusts, um, ash, alder, and so on. Uh, lime tree, maybe, if you just need um, fuel wood, or if you want to do charcoal, then it's a perfect tree. So. Um, Yeah, we we need to to advise small scale forest owners and farmers more to to do a forest management that's suited to their demand uh, and what they need. And if you do that, there are a lot of methods you can use that are also applicable in a shifting climate.
0: For sure, for sure. There's, man, there's so many regionally specific considerations that need to be taken into account there as well as the context and everything Um, but what I take away from this is that there's pretty much endless opportunities to integrate forestry into farming and to revive dying forested areas and woodlands and yet still people are looking at this from a shorter term perspective because unlike um, annual crops it does take a while for these to get established and certainly for them to yield if that's what you're looking for or to be able to be harvested if you're looking for timber or for firewood. When you're investing and installing agroforestry systems, especially with or without financial aid, and a lot of people are doing without, is it really feasible from a financial perspective? Can the returns come in fast enough for people to see this within one lifetime, perhaps?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. If you use pioneer trees... If you plant a, a poplar, for example, uh, a hybrid poplar from uh, from cuttings, um, uh, then y- you can harvest it in a in a sellable dimension in twenty years. And that's if if you if you do this. What I what I said initially, if you have uh, a cleared area of forest, then uh, you can you can plan where your skidding tracks will be. And you can plant a combination of uh, trees, which will become effective or harvestable in the long term, and, uh, and pioneer trees on the, on the skidding tracks. And by the way, um, there's one thing. Um, uh, if, you, if you lose your forest because of drought and you have problems uh, uh, rest- restoring your forest because it's very dry and hot, you can apply key line design in the forest as well um it I have seen it and uh, I, and it works and it's something that um i, I heard old foresters say that um uh, that they actually did this um in uh, like back in, in 50 years plowing uh, in forests um, uh, horizontally along the contour to to harvest water that's not exactly a keyline design but you can do stuff to collect water and I have um, an old um forestry educational book from German Democratic Republic from 1954 which shows a picture of uh, a key line design applied in the forest on a clear cut where they where they did uh, ditches that come out of a out of a creek um, valley onto the uh, uh, the um, no, on, on the on the valley um, sides and to the to the ridges to make use of the water to 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 get it from the river from the creek into the forest area onto the ridges
0: brilliant yeah yeah i
1: I could show it to you the problem is we're recording an audio no it's okay
0: send it to me and i'll I'll post it on the show notes i'm sure people would it's it's just over there in the shelf i will go get it (laughs)
1: look at this you can
0: oh fantastic that's a really cool illustration yeah yeah Take a picture of that i'll post that up online i'll do it i'll send it to you nice that's great yeah and it, it's i mean look at this it's so nice yeah right i love it you've got some great resources i'd love to read some of those old volumes if they weren't in german
1: yeah you you can you can you can really learn so much from these old books
0: it's it's amazing They're so they cool did. yeah they were so much more yeah. resourceful back then um yeah on another end of that, not just the investment of being able to harvest these, but what sort of business opportunities exist in forestry management these days, especially in a more regenerative sense, not necessarily just the traditional uh, logging industries or, or things that people might normally associate? Because you're, you're really involved with this. Uh, you're cutting out your own career path in this sector. Where do you see some of the business opportunities of people getting in and doing this work that's so necessary?
1: well business opportunities well i th- i think it's it's just it's farming of course if if you if you have land that you can farm you can do something with it uh, especially i think um, on smaller farms because that's the where you can we can where you can use the modern resources like the internet and and selling to people um, creating a, a regional um, uh, circle of, of consumers that will that will consume stuff. It's it's basically marketing using using this uh, urban mindset. Yeah, I've I've seen people growing walnuts in Brandenburg, and and uh, they they basically sold out by mid year because people pre order their regional walnuts, um, and and it's it's mostly sent to Berlin because people in Berlin want to have regional walnuts. But on the other hand, there are farmers which say, oh, growing walnuts, that's what what a shitty idea because you you you, you see people are growing them in Turkey and blah blah blah. That's just they they can't imagine what you can do by by marketing it, by saying, hey, buy this stuff because it's good. And yeah, so so we need to um, to shift agriculture and also forestry by um, by showing what we do. Because people like it. There, there are people it's not it's not the, the the yeah, it's not the biggest part of the population but there are people who value uh, regional production and ecological production practices and uh, so we can show what we do. We can say, hey, if you buy our produce you are supporting a land use like this and that and we're doing something for the climate that's what all of the people in these in the scene are doing um yeah all the small farms they're on instagram and they're saying hey we're doing this and that and we're so cool blah 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 and and people go there and buy it so there are business opportunities if you want to to become kind of a Digital farmer as well, and and be in the digital world and show what you're doing on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, the internet, blah blah. I don't yeah. know. Um, uh, but but if you if you don't show people what you're doing, then it's then they can't see why you should why they should buy your stuff. So we need as a farmer nowadays, you can survive with a small scale farm, but you need to educate your customers and you. And we also need to prepare, if we, for example, manage to get more chestnuts and walnuts and stuff and and regional vegetables into the market again, we need to be prepared that the big players will try to imitate that. We also have, for example, uh, the the supermarket company REWE in Germany, they always have a regional stuff shelf in their markets but it's like uh the region northern germany so i mean that's pretty vast if you can be in eastern brandenburg and get a regional cucumber from the border to the netherlands so so what's regional and um yeah uh, you need to really educate the consumers um to look behind these fancy words and it's the same for example with with honey then uh uh, OK, people actually understood that it's not really good to have honey from Africa or Mexico, but the big companies then got the idea. OK, so let's say we're having regional honey from Europe. <laughs> and, and then, right. uh, yeah, like, like it's, 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 the, it's the framing. We need to, to install a framing of real regionality and not like pseudo-regionality and, and real climate farming no, and not pseudo-climate um, farming. That's what you need to do. And then you can have a job and business opportunity in farming. The same maybe with forestry. Um, if you sell um, on a small scale, special forest products like charcoal from for grilling, uh, I know that there's a kind of a market in, in uh, Great Britain uh, the Forestry Commission has um, uh, managed to to get a lot of people to buy small forests again because they created this image of, uh, hey, it's cool to have your own forest to produce all these um, non-timber forest products.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in Germany, we haven't done that. We're still focusing on uh, getting all these small-scale forest owners into uh, producing big trees from the timber industry. That means... Um, in a small scale forest, every second generation can sell two or three trees to the industry. That's not fun. But if you if you advise them to say, hey, do coppice with standards, make your own charcoal, uh, put a trailer or a tiny house in your forest and make a fireplace and spend your leisure time there. Um, produce honey, uh, the, uh, harvest some some uh, bast, and and do some some uh, what's called um, basketry, um, and uh, maybe do some some uh, uh, coppicing on on um, uh, like willow coppicing, and and do basketry, or I don't know, um, make maple syrup or whatever, or, or harvest uh, lime tree leaves and make flour out of them or I don't know, there's so many products from the forest that we haven't even looked at uh, for 500 years. And they're actually very, very valuable. And um, uh, and you can, yeah. And so that means you can have a business opportunity from, from forest as well. Or another thing would be if you have a forest, then Uh, You could plant um, uh, fruiting varieties of chestnuts in the forest, for example, and collect them and sell them. Um, There are some legal issues with that, but I know there are ways to get around it. Um, And it also depends on which country you are in, in Europe, for example. Um, Then other business opportunities. Um, Of course, we need a lot of planning and advising uh, to... um, Create this agroforestry landscape now, and to do the forestry re- restoration. Um, so, like I'm working in this business. That's it's, it's a business opportunity for me. Um, but I think it's not um, it's not endless. Um, there are a lot of people who want to advise in agroforestry now. There's a lot of young people, and I can only say. It needs a lot of experience, and uh, if and and it's something where we deal with really big capital with big forces, and there's a lot of risk in it, and we're, it's it's maybe like like medicine. Uh, look at the um, uh, responsibility you have. If you if you're planting trees and if you' you're reshaping the landscape and creating different patterns and you you're making a farmer spend hundreds of uh, hundred thousands of euros um, uh, that, that's a great re- responsibility And I think we need to have um, in, in agroforestry forestry, well, in, in forestry, there we have planning bureaus as well and, and uh, freelance foresters that, that do all this stuff. They just need to re-educate themselves to incorporate these newer silvicultural measures. But then if you're a young person willing to go into this business, you can say, hey, I'm doing an internship in this and that uh, forest uh Um, uh, forestry advisors company and and I'm learning with them it's like in engineering when you're a young engineer coming from university you will work in a big uh, 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 big company and uh, of course you can you can start designing your first uh, bridges but there will be an old engineer looking at it so make sure that the bridge won't collapse and we don't have that in agroforestry um there are no old companies um where you can make your first designs and you have an old uh, uh agroforestry advisor looking at it and um saying hey that's nonsense um it won't work uh, you, you will make the farmer bankrupt if you do this um uh we're kind of working on that um i'm doing it in my company i have a lot of trainees and uh they're starting to do planning and I, i'm really it's it's um it's amazing how, how you can actually create a plan and, and, and a design for agroforestry that really looks nice. But from the expert point of view, I would say, wow, that's completely wrong, like do it differently. And uh, So not every shiny map and, and plan of an agroforestry uh, that looks nice will actually work. And so I think that's what we need to build up. We need to build up a few companies where young people can get into and learn on the job because because otherwise, if you, if, if you just, um, uh, yeah, start, start out on your own, you will, and you want to live from it, you will sell people your experiments. And that's something that I never did. I started to, to do, um, agroforestry planning, uh, uh, seven years ago, and f- for the first four to five years, I didn't take any money. I just uh, uh, financed it by working on other projects. I, I did some some uh, nature conservation work. Um, had uh, um, yeah, I was employed in somewhere and earned my money there. And I did my agroforestry plannings uh, for free because I said, "Hey, we're learning together." I can't sell you my experiments and that's a very a thing that i'm i think is very important it's the mindset of young planners to actually tell people hey it's a completely new business and uh we can do educated guesses because we we know something from forestry we know how trees grow we know something from from uh fruit production um so, but we have no experience for 20, 30, 40 years, how that actually works in this agroforestry structure. And so we are experimenting together and uh, only, um, yeah, or well, still just just be aware what you're selling to the people. And of course, you, you need to earn money, but you need to be very responsible and yeah, that, And then, then it's a business opportunity to, to do planning uh, and advisor, advising as well.
0: That's really good advice, especially because of how much of a lag time is involved with putting in long-term perennial systems. And mm-hmm. you know, you're not probably going to see how well they take for 10, 20 years in many cases, even more. And given how many variables are in place and how many things can change in that period of time, you're right, uh, gaining solid experience before, you know, having the confidence to go out there and charge good money for that type of design is, is crucial. And hopefully there are more and more people out there with that experience that you can uh Yeah, work with or find some sort of mentorship Mm -hmm. or coaching agreement with. And that's something that we're trying to make those matches and put people together on with Mm -hmm. climate farmers. Um, But it's, it's hard to find at the moment and it's going to take a while for uh, an experienced workforce to be able to make this kind of stuff available, especially at competitive Mm -hmm. prices for people. And so it's worth spending some extra money on someone who does have the experience.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but you you need to to make your experience i mean um it's yeah it's a bit of a dilemma i mean how do you become an experienced planner or advisor you need to mess around with this stuff and and make your experiences and yeah. for example especially in keyline design, it's really dangerous to mess around with huge quantities of water and uh i've been messing around with huge quantities of water for what long- but I made it clear to the people with whom I that we're messing around with this together. I did my first P line designs, saying, "Hey, this is completely new; it's an experiment." And we had dams broken. We had the Grand Canyon on a field, um, but we knew uh, that could happen. And uh, that's that's most some of the most valuable experiences that that we made. But it, had I sold the system, had I planned the system to somebody, um, it, uh, it would have been a disaster, I think. Um, in, in the end, it wasn't really my fault <laughs> because uh, somebody did something that I said, please don't do it. Um, uh, it, will, it will lead to, to a breaking down. Um, but uh, it was a great experience. Um, and we we repaired the damage um, but it's important to have these uh these experiences and um yeah so so i think that's that's really good to to have uh, uh, a, a bunch of these like keyline design agroforestry advisory planning companies uh who have um like a workforce where you can get into where you can learn on the job yeah
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, hopefully that becomes increasingly available, especially with the demand for these types of services and just how essential they are in a changing ecology. Now, I want to wrap up this conversation with kind of a fun question. So if you were in charge of, let's say, a national forestry management department for a whole country, let's say Germany, or even at a grander scale, like for Europe, what policies or initiatives would you enact in order to turn the degraded trajectory of forest lands around and start to regenerate things?
1: I would apply massive thinnings in younger um, coniferous plantations, um, saying, hey, uh, like, I, I mean, on the, on the state level, I, w- I would put in money like state money. I mean, we we've we've just what signed this bill, uh, putting 100 billion euros into the army. Um, uh, so th- there is money, uh, and and we're doing all sorts of stuff. And and I think it would be and and forestry is relatively cheap compared to to buying new military equipment, for example. So I would I don't know pour in one billion euros or something to say hey let's let's just go in the forests and do massive thinning and replanting in um for example um uh, uh, pine plantations um which are said to be not harvestable yet but that means they're not harvestable yet from an economic perspective that's just if you say yeah um they're they're the, the dimension is too little to, to get the maximum price out of them. But you can sell them. The industry will take them. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of small small scale wood which is which is worked with. Um, it's just like economically not uh, y- you don't get the best uh, relation from input to output. So I would say, hey, we have the climate crisis. Our forests are um, uh, d- declining and and uh, and we need to to do that quickly this this forest restoration so let's just harvest a lot of this stuff sell it maybe to the to not the best prices over a couple of years uh, but to thin these young forests and to uh, not wait a whole forest generation to restore it just just say okay we we planted these pines 20 years ago 30 years ago it was a mistake so let's cut them down and plant something different um cut your losses literally pardon <laughs> cut your losses literally yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that, that's uh, what, what's what's it called it's the uh, not not do this uh, sunken cost fallacy yeah um yeah. yeah uh and and say okay let's let's go in there let's harvest these these um uh wood stands and and just regenerate them and uh, and go in with with pioneer trees, with oaks, with chestnuts, black locust. Uh, I don't know. Um, um, yeah, what's it called? Um, uh, hazelnut uh, uh, hazelnut tree. Um, like a Amer- no, um Turkish hazelnut, like like the tree variant or something. Oh, I don't okay. know. There's 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 loads of of yeah. so-called climate uh, tree species that that are from North America, from Asia, from Southern Europe that would work here, hmm. and um, just create these climate tree forests and and yeah, massively restore the forests. And that's
0: the thing. That's what too, I would do. The, and, and also the do industry will adapt. And,
1: the industry will adapt. It, it will have to adapt, and um, uh, and I think it's it's always just just uh, yeah. You need to think where 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 do people um, actually work? What what do they do? Can we can we afford to have some some less employees in the timber industry or in forestry or where, wherever? I mean, we we've done the same when, when we got out lot of um, charcoal or or mining in in huge uh, parts of Germany. There there were massive protests because the people who worked in mining said, hey, what shall we do if there's no mining anymore? Then we're all unemployed. So they'd say, hey, just spend a couple of billions of dollars or euros and re-educate these people and say, okay, I don't know even 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 help them psychologically like okay you've worked half your life in mining now you get the, a very good opportunity you get a, a new education you get psychological assistance you can you can create a new life um it's relatively cheap uh, compared to the ecological uh, consequences that we that we face if we just continue just to keep these people in the mining industry yeah. Or in certain kinds of the timber industry or whatever. I, I mean, it's all, it's, if you look at the long-term costs, it's all relatively cheap to say, okay, let's, let's just, let's just face it now. Let's just invest. Let's just uh, go through these um, um, times of, of, uh, um, of uncomfortableness. Um, yeah. Better do it now than, than just wait. and
0: apart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and that's if, if uh, getting back to your question, if you if you ask me what to do, um, uh, if I was in, in the forestry administration or on a bigger level, uh, I would uh, put on a massive grant scheme for agroforestry as well, because that's what I, I said. We need to restore the forest to broadleaf forest to more open structures, and we need an agroforestry landscape on large scale, and. And that's that's what I would try to to implement.
0: Brilliant. Well, look, Philip, we could continue with this conversation much, much longer, but let's put a little bookmark in it there now. And for one thing, I'm definitely going to look forward to seeing you again at this year's conference. But can you tell our listeners where they can reach out to you, get in contact and learn more about your work?
1: Um, Yeah, people can go on my my website, it's baumfeldwirtschaft.de, baumfeldwirtschaft.de, and there's also an Instagram account, Instagram slash baumfeldwirtschaft, Uh, there's a Facebook account, uh, there's a YouTube channel. And it's all pretty outdated because I'm so busy uh, implementing agroforestry. Uh, but I think my Instagram account is uh, is up to date the most. Uh, I usually post stuff from my work, uh, like when I'm out in the field uh, on a building site doing key line design uh, out on, on the digger and um, digging ditches and swales and uh, planting trees and stuff. Um, yeah, and uh, my website is being re Uh, refurbished a bit uh, at the moment so there will be uh, uh, a list of the of the projects that I've that I've done so far with pictures and videos and so on but it's not on there yet so I think um, having a look at Instagram is is a good idea if you want to see what I'm doing at the moment and if you want to get in touch with me uh, go on my website baumfeldwirtschaft.de
0: Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate the time, Philip. It's always good to catch up with you and we'll talk again real soon.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It was nice to talk to you as well.
0: Thanks once again to Philip Gerhardt. I'll be posting all of the links that he mentioned on the show notes for this episode on the website, where you can also find all the previous episodes from the last five seasons. Now before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the ongoing conversations happening around these topics on the Regenerative Skills Discord server. Now it's always free to join, and it's also the easiest way to get in touch with me directly. So if you're interested in helping to guide the direction and the focus of the show into the future, or just get some feedback on your own projects and have some questions answered, it's all happening there. So come and join the growing community of Earth Regenerators on the forum by signing up through the link in the website or through our link tree on Instagram. Now in the next episode in this series on tree planting and agroforestry, I'm going to speak with Mark Krawchek, the author of the new book, Coppice Agroforestry. Now this book represents over a decade of experience and research into the history and practice of managing woodlands for a wide array of products in a way that fosters endless growth, forest health, and increased biodiversity. You definitely won't want to miss that one because I'll also be running a book giveaway with New Society Publishers. So be sure to subscribe to this show and leave a review wherever you stream your podcast from so that you never miss an episode. Well, so that wraps things up for this week's episode. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future. And I'll be right by your side along the way.